For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marta Stanley, but I think I know probably 99% of you. Good morning and welcome to our church. I'm glad you're here. Um, let's pray just for a second while we get started. Um, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. We ask you to fill me and I ask you to fill every single person in this room. Show us the way you want us to go. If you want me to check these notes and start over where you want me to, I'll do it. I just want to follow you, Holy Spirit, and bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we're continuing in Acts 9. We're not in a hurry, obviously, marching through Acts. We're still on that subject of the fear of the Lord. Dave started that last week and it was really good. And like today would be part two of that. Um, so really we're still in Acts. 931. So this morning we're going to keep talking about what the fear of the Lord is and what it means, and we're going to take it a few steps further. Um, but as I was kind of preparing for this this week, I was reminded that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of all the other spiritual disciplines and the things that we do as believers. Because if we don't walk in the fear of the Lord and we don't have that, um, other things can't build appropriately. And I hope to show you that as I talk about the words in the scripture this morning. Um, so I want to just quickly go over a couple of really neat definitions that I found this week as I was looking for this. And one of these is, get my glasses on here. Listen to this, this is really beautiful. I've got about three definitions for you. Reverence for God as the controlling motive of life, a holy desire to please him because of reverence for who he is, and a wholesome dread of displeasing him. Isn't that awesome? Here's another one. A holy affection and reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to the Father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that the child has an earnest desire to please him. Beautiful, huh? And here's one by Charles Spurgeon to pay Jesus humble, childlike reverence, to walk in his laws, have respect for his will, tremble to offend him, hasten to serve him, and fear him and nothing else. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so those are, that we're gonna start there and build. So notice the words of reverence, awe, respect, and childlike faith. And Dave alluded to this last week about the children thing. God is here and we are children. We are always, I don't care if you're 92, you're still a child of God. He's the ancient of days. He's been around longer than you. He's the father and you're the son and you're the daughter. So we have that relationship always, always in the forefront of our mind. And something else I want to bring up before we talk about Daniel, which is where we're going to go, is... The Bible repeatedly tells us that our purpose for being on this earth is to glorify God. Our purpose isn't other things. Our purpose is to bring glory and honor to God. That's why we were created. So keep that in mind as we go through our scriptures today. And um, that will make a difference, I think. Um, so several years ago, I asked God, as I was teaching some women's Bible studies, what do you want to say to me about the fear of the Lord? I mean, I had all these other things, but what do you want to say? And I was actually going for a run that day, and I hear God speak so clearly to me, and he said, it's weighty. And so what do you mean weighty? 
And he said, what my word says carries more weight than anything or anybody else. What I say, my truth, my character, outweighs everything else. And then he showed me a set of scales, kind of like the old-fashioned kind that you see maybe in an antique store where you put something on this side and you put something on this side. He said, God's on the right side. And my, what I say and what I want weighs more than anything else. Isn't that an awesome picture of that? So what's on the left side then? These are your feelings, your desires, your hopes, your family, your culture, your friends, maybe your job, and of course your fears. This all is light and God is weighty. So everything he says, hey Joey, has weight. Everything he says has weight. And even your circumstances and your situations don't count as much as you think God does. So let's keep those things in mind as we go on through the morning here. So today we're going to go to Daniel because I think Daniel is a perfect picture of somebody who walked in the fear of the Lord in, in grave danger and face of incredible odds and circumstances. So let's go to Daniel, and I think these are going to be up on the screen. We're going to start in Daniel 1, but let me, before we go with that, we're going to start with the context and the background. So here's what's happening in Daniel. He was deported and captured from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, and he would have been a teenager. So everybody under here, under the age of 20, listen up, because Daniel was your age. He was probably between... 15 and 19 at this time of his life. Um, so many of the young youths who were, um, who, who um, the King Nebuchadnezzar thought were, were worth having in his court, they were all captured and brought to Jerusalem. And so um, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were his three friends. They were chosen to serve as trainees in the king's court. And because of their wisdom and understanding and appearance, they, were, they secured positions in the king's palace, and it was Daniel himself who rose to excel over the wise men of the whole region, much to the discern of all the Babylonians. So also, Daniel's name actually means God is my judge. Interesting, huh? So let's start with Daniel 1 through 5. And now I'm going to just go through a whole bunch of verses in Daniel. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Keep going. Then Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat those acceptable foods. And please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. And then make your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends worked, looked healthier and better nourished than the other young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided by the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. I think we'll keep going. 
When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King. We're going to call him King Neb. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel. And this would be the other three. These were their Jerusalem name, their Hebrew names. And so they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. I think he would have been about 70. So Daniel never did live in his own country. He never lived in his own country. So that's where our, that's where our story is, first of Daniel. So we see that Daniel and his three friends refused to conform to the culture and to the king, what they wanted him to be. They determined to be God-pleasers and not man-pleasers, and they stood their ground. They stood their ground, and they were so young, and it would have been so easy to just say, well, God didn't rescue us from being captured, so I guess we'll just assimilate into the culture and do what we gotta do. No, they stood their ground and they stood up. So now let's go to Daniel 3. And um, in Daniel 3, um, old Neb decides it's a brilliant idea to erect a golden statue about 90 feet high and then require and decree everyone to bow down and worship it. So now let's go to Daniel 3, and we're going to start at verse 4 and 6 and see what happens from there. And then the herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, and the harp, and the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Neb's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now let's look at 17 and 18. And then their reply is, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, King Nab jumped up in amazement and explained to his advisors, did we not tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, he says, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. One more section here. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. And they defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will now make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. And then the king promoted those three young men to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Pretty amazing story. So now we have three more people who just did, defied the king and refused to bow and stood their ground. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's where we are. They remain firm in their commitment to God and they refused to be intimidated by their culture and by their king. 
one more group, and then we're going to talk all about all this and tie it all together. So Daniel 6, and I wish we had time to go through the whole book of Daniel, all 12 chapters, because it's powerful. But let me just give you the background for Daniel 6. By now, King Neb has died. This is many, many years later. And um, King Darius has now taken the throne. Uh, King Darius um, um, has many advisors, and he doesn't know the history yet of Daniel and his three friends. And so um, Daniel's jealous co-workers convinced, convinced Darius to make a decree that no one can pray or ask anybody anything except the king. They, they can't find anything wrong with Daniel, so they, get to, they decide to try and trick him with his religion. And this is what happens. So in Daniel 6, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as he always did in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. To his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him, did you not sign the law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? Yes, he said, I did that. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And so then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law, and he still prays to his God three times a day. And hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. And he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And in the evening, the men went together to the king, and he said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And so very early the next morning he got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed, and he ordered that Daniel be lifted, up, lifted out of the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And the lions left on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor. And so I decree now, this is King Darius speaking, that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the Lord God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. The end of our Bible verses for at least a couple of minutes. So anyway, so here's Daniel. 
walking in the fear of the Lord. These are three examples, and there are more in the book of Daniel, but for sake of time, that's it for today with Daniel. But he truly walked in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord was here, and all the other fears were down here. So this, this gives us a really good, a really good uh, practical tool to watch. And we know from the very beginning that Daniel, his whole entire life, was about, was about somebody trying to pressure him into being and doing something that he, other than what God wanted him to be and do. But he never gave into those pressures. He always stood strong. So what are the things that Daniel did practically that we can also put into practice and grow in the fear of the Lord? Um, one of the things that the, the Bible says in Daniel that Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. But an excellent spirit is the fruit of walking in the fear of the Lord. He did that first, and so his excellent spirit came next. So some things that Daniel surely did that we just saw in the word was, he knew what the word was and he obeyed it without wavering. Three times a day he bowed and prayed and worshiped and got, and got intentional with intimacy with the Lord. And he determined in advance and this is the key. He determined in advance to walk in the fear of the Lord. Without work, without wavering. And he decided to do that. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to say, oh, what's my circumstance? I'll decide after I look at that. Uh-uh. Daniel didn't decide after he looked at the circumstances. He decided beforehand how he was going to be and how it was going to go. So I'm going to list you, I want to show you some promises. So what do we get? And this is a fair question. What do we get if we walk in the fear of the Lord? Because sometimes you want to know that. Well, this, there's a list in here of the benefits of the fear of the Lord, and I won't go through all these, but I'm going to list a few of these. But I would say there are the rewards of walking in the fear of the Lord rather than benefits. Here's one from Deuteronomy 5.29 that it would go well with them and their children. Their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalms 25, 12 says, who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct them in the way chosen for them. Psalm 31, 19 said, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which bestow you in the sight of men and those who take refuge in you. And I love this one in Psalm 33. The eyes of the Lord are in those who fear him, hoping his unfailing love, and to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Compassion, well, Psalm 103. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And on and on it goes. Provision. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. And Psalm 112, one of my favorites, says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commandments. And on and on it goes. And there's 57 of these promises. And I'm sure we can find even more. Um, what's a few more? Oh, witnessing. Since we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade men. Rewards, 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 all, all around. 
Um, so when we, we walk in the fear of the Lord, God definitely rewards us all the time. So do any of you need any of these things I just mentioned? Do you need wisdom? Do you need discernment? Do you need instruction? Do you need blessing? Do you need protection? Do you need deliverance? Do you need intimacy? Do you need any of these things? Of course you do. I do too. We all do. And walking in the fear of the Lord will bring us these blessings because that's what the Bible says. And it's not, have you experienced that? It says, that's what the Word says. We go with what the Word says. That's our solid rock of ground that we stand on. So, then the opposite must also be true. If we don't walk in the fear of the Lord, we aren't going to have these things that we so badly want. So many people I know think, well, God isn't blessing me. God's not showing me this and this and this. And I want to go back and say, well, how are you walking? How are you living? Are you walking and living in the fear of the Lord? Are you honoring God with the things you do? Are you doing these things? Because if you are, you will receive these blessings. Because these are promises in the word. So the opposite must also be true. If we don't walk in the fear of the Lord, we're going to lack wisdom and discernment and intimacy and protection and deliverance and all those things. So that is a good motive for us to start doing that. This is so huge. Um, a couple more verses before I walk into some practical tips for us to do this. First Samuel says, I'll just, I know this with my heart. The Lord says, those who honor me, I will also honor. Those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. So when we honor God, he honors us as well. It's always a two-way street. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1.17. I'll honor and glory to God forever and ever. He's the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. And he alone is God. Amen. Let's look at Proverbs 15.33. The fear of the Lord teaches wisdom, and humility precedes honor. And one more, Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. So a good question to ask God would be, because we should take inventory of our lives every now and again, it's a good thing to practice taking inventory. A good question would be, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, show me every area of my life that maybe I have not walked in the fear of the Lord. And when I say every area, I don't mean um, dividing your life between secular and spiritual, because God doesn't really do that. We do that. We say, okay, here's my Sunday morning tasks and activities, and then I've got Monday through Saturday, and that's all mine. But God doesn't designate that. That's not how he works. Every area of your life is super important to him. So we don't get to hold back parts of our lives where we indulge in things that dishonor God and displease God. This is all important to God. Your professional life, your personal life, your family life, Everything is important to God. What you do with your recreation. What do you watch? What do you listen to? How do you spend your time? All these things are super important to God. And they either dishonor God or they honor God. And so it's a good idea to take some inventory and maybe some quiet time and ask God some of these questions so that you're always growing in this. We, no matter where we are, you could be a brand new Christian today, you could be a seasoned Christian for the last 50 years. We all can grow in the fear of the Lord. We all can grow in honoring Him 
more and more and more, and we hope to do that. So practically, so I can hear some of you saying, that's all really awesome, Marta, but how do I do that? How do I do that? And whenever I teach anything, I always like to end with practical tools because I want practical tools because here's the deal. God will do his part, which is giving you salvation through Jesus Christ, but now you've got a part of response. And what is our response? So God always has his part and we always have our part. That's always how it works. So here's some practical tools. And this is, this is huge for me. The first one is, is the biggest for me, I think. And that's keeping God big. So I've got like three or four things written down here. Keeping God big. How do you keep God big? Well, you maximize God and you minimize everything else, just like you would on your computer. You know, you've got little buttons on your computer that you can have all kinds of windows going on down here, but they're real tiny. And then you've got the big screen. You make sure that God is big on your screen at all times and you do whatever you have to to do that. And that means that it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to keep Jesus the center of our focus, to maximize him, and to minimize everything else. And we do that in several ways. We be in the word every day and we make time for praise and worship. It's not enough to come and get fed on Sunday morning because by Tuesday you forgot what was even said because the life happens, right? Life happens by Tuesday. That's only two days later. You've got five days left to wait for Sunday morning. And, and, and that's just not going to work. So you've got to be in the Word every day. You've got to make sure that the Word is in your brain and in your heart and in your spirit. And you've got to make time for praise and worship. You've got to have conversations with God every day. You need to pray and listen. And I mean it. If you spend 15 minutes praying, you should spend 15 minutes listening because you've got to know what your assignment is for the day. You've got to know and then check in with God throughout the day, even if it's in your car on the way to work. Say, God, I love you. I'm so glad you're my father. I'm so grateful. And then check in with him. It doesn't take long. It can be 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. But just make sure you keep your connection to God going all the time. Don't let that connection go. Because the truth of the matter is, if you go days without communicating with the Lord, all this negative stuff will start heaping up, and your faith will go, it will go down. You've got to keep your faith strong, and that's where you've got to keep God big. It's up to us, and it's our responsibility to keep our own faith stirred up. So for me, I'm in the Word a lot, but I also listen to podcasts, and I read blogs, and I read all kinds of stuff every single day that encourage my faith. Because I can't stand up here and encourage you if I'm not encouraged. I just can't do it. So you've got to, this is your responsibility. Find good stuff to read. Find good things to listen to. And for goodness sake, turn off the negative stuff in your life. Turn off the news, because it's not true anyway, most of it. Find some good news sources that are really good and who are faith-based news sources. They are out there. The Epic Times is one of them that I listen to all the time. It still tells me the news, but it's very faith-based in its, in its delivery. So keep the negative stuff down to a dull roar, um, because whatever you focus on, whatever you listen to, that will become what you fear the most. So may, may it be God's things that you fear the most and that you listen to. So that's what you do to keep God big. 
And the second thing that Daniel and his three friends did is they decided in advance who they were going to honor and obey. They did not wait to see hmm, what's going to happen, what shall I do. Nope, they decided in advance that God was the one they were going to honor and obey, and him alone. And they determined in their heart to walk in the fear of the Lord and not waver. So I can think those three things, and really keeping God big, had a lot of things under it. But though, if we can keep God big, and we can determine in our hearts not to waver, and we can make a decision today that we're not going to change tomorrow because our circumstances change, and we can determine in our heart not to waver. We know that God rewards honor. Glory and honor are to the Lord, and he rewards that in this life and in the life to come. So, as you can see, we've talked about the fear of the Lord today. Um, it's a very intentional thing on in our heart, our part. Um, and God gives us a big part to play. So we have to be intentional to do that. 